Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning. What a great morning already. Uh, all right, so if you're visiting us, we kind of got to move. Uh, is this on? You got it. All right, so we are, uh, since beginning of January, just sort of looking at our vision and teasing out some of the implications of that. Uh, our vision statement as a church is hopefully every person here can have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to what we call eternal living now. And when you're living eternally now, it means that God's will and ways are being carried out in your everyday life. So what we're trying to uh, encourage, trying to see happen, is we want to get out of the mindset that eternal life is just a future place that we go to forever. Just a future place that we go to forever. According to John uh, 17 and verse 3, he's crystal clear, John, in the Gospel of John and in his letters, especially 1 John, where he says, tells us what eternal life is. It's knowing him. It's knowing God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what eternal life is. It's a relationship with God. So it's something that starts now. It's not something we wait for. The concept of waiting for eternal life has done a lot of damage to us as believers. Because it means that somehow we have this spiritual existence, this spiritual life, that we've checked some box, and all of a sudden, heaven is now ours. Those are clouds. Heaven is now ours, and someday we'll have an incredible spiritual experience. We'll get to know God better. We'll give him time. We'll let him be the center of our life when we get there. And the whole middle thing is just gone. We don't even know what it means or looks like. Well, John is telling us if you, eternal life is not something you wait for. Eternal life is something Jesus has brought and made tangible and real. And according to 1 John, when we were in, in this book here, John says the life was revealed and we have seen it and testify about it and we announce it to you. Well, what, what did he say? He's saying the life was revealed? Yes, it was eternal life, made tangible and visible. And that life was with the Father and now is revealed to us. That's Jesus Christ. He brought that life from the Father. So whatever that eternal reality is, whatever that ultimate reality is, Jesus brought it here. And then he says, we have seen and heard it, and we announce it to you so that you can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, here it is again, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is here saying there's sort of two components to eternal 
reality, internal life, and understanding it. And one has an objective piece to it we looked at last week. It's a rational side. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ brought it, that he was with the Father and that he came here in the flesh. And John doesn't give us an option on that. That's something you have to believe. It's a doctrine you have to believe. And the reason that becomes critical is because if Jesus is the one who's training us on eternal living, well, then he's the one we have to look to solely. He has to be the loudest voice in our life. If we want to live the eternal kind of life now, he has to be the loudest voice in our life. There can be no other voices above his. Okay, so you have to believe he brought it. If he is the eternal one, then he's the only one who can apprentice us on eternal living. That's the idea. So you got to believe that. That's sort of the left brain of Christianity. Then there's a right brain sort of Christianity, and that is this mystical piece, this fellowship piece. Because John didn't say, well, if you have eternal life, good for you, go your way, can't wait to see you there. He could have said that. But that's not what he said. He says, if you have it, we want you to have it, and I'll tell you what it looks like. And it's summed up really in one word. It's a sort of a fellowship with us, a community, and a fellowship with God, a community with God. And so we have to tease out what this mystical side is together. Now notice that uh, what we drew sort of last week is that there is a fellowship a fellowship with God, or a fellowship with us, he says, and there is a fellowship with God. There's two kinds. Whatever it is, they're both governed by the same word, this one. Whatever fellowship means, whatever you're defining as a spiritual life, and that's one of the things we're trying to get to the bottom of here, Who's defining the spiritual life for you? Are you defining it? Is Jesus defining it for you? That's essential. Who's defining the spiritual life for you? John is saying, we came in contact with that life, and here's what that life can look like if you want it. It's a fellowship. It's a fellowship with us, and we... Have fellowship with God. It's communal at every point. Now, so here's a couple of things you, you just right off the bat see from this. All right, first, uh, this, is the, this is the first sign of eternal life, is whatever this idea of fellowship is. And let me just say, because it's not really complex. Just the word fellowship, you've probably heard this Greek word given to you at some point in your life if you've been in church. It's koinonia. You've probably heard that word. And koino means common. The Greek that the New Testament was written in is called koine Greek. It's it's the reason is because it's common language. It was the common language. It's what everybody spoke. So whatever koinonia means, it means to share and it means to have it in common. So when John says, we share and have some things in common with each other, and we also have some things we share in common with God, that's what he is saying. Now, 
If you want to draw this a different way, let's talk about this a little bit different way. So that means um, this group here, this us group, is just all of us who believe the same way. This is a community. This would be a local community. Of course, there's the big us, every Christian in the world. Okay? But I don't relate to every Christian in the world. I relate to you because you're the ones in my world. That is the people that this gets fleshed out with. Okay? So the people that are in my world that I interact with who are fellow believers. So we have all this interaction with each other. All this interaction is going on here. And all of this group is also interacting with God. There's a fellowship with him. We have fellowship with him. So there's all kind of dynamic fellowship going on here. And all of this fellowship is rooted and leads back to fellowship with God himself. You can see it's just nothing but relational, communal dynamic going on. It's a graphic illustration. You say, how would you draw what eternal life looks like? That's it. It's beautiful, isn't it? This could be a painting in your house. Okay? This could be a painting in your house. Okay? It's communal in both and with. In and with. And there's no way around it. All right? So we share this in common. So ultimate reality, eternal life, is experienced, the mystical side, in relationship. Not relationship with the You say, how is the eternal life? How does one live an eternal life? The first words out of your mouth have to be in community. In community. In other words, whatever the eternal life is, you're not just figuring it out on your own. There's no such thing as that in this dynamic. Even the ones fellowshipping with God here aren't seen as individuals. We are fellowshipping with God. There's no I am only fellowshipping with God. Now, of course, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But, but it is completely fleshed out in a communal sense because God's a community himself. So, our task today is just to spend a little time trying to figure out how to describe this. Uh, and we began this whole series asking the question, I'd like my spiritual life to be better. I'd, I came to Christ like in that drawing you had first, and I thought about heaven in the future, but I've never really had a dynamic relationship with Jesus where he was really guiding everything I was doing in my life. So how do we begin to tease out uh, what that looks like. I think the first question you have to ask yourself is this, right here. Uh, how would I rate my spiritual life in terms of the strength of my Christian community? How would I rate my spiritual life in terms of the strength of my Christian community? How high of a level is your Christian community? I'm not asking you this is really important. I'm not asking you if you have friends. I'm not asking you if you have friends. Some of you need friends. I know that. But some of you have friends. And, uh, you know, friend, you say, I've had friends forever. I still have friends that you know, I had when I was in high school or, or, or elementary school. And we're still friends or, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about people who will help you move if you had to move next month. 
okay? Because they're your best friends, okay? I'm talking about what kind of relationship do you have with people who draw their life from God? They draw their life from God so when you are with them, it feels like you have been hanging out with God. That's what I'm talking about. And you can't help but want to be more what God wants you to be when you are with those people. Those people are the ones I'm talking about. Because I'm not asking here if you're lonely. I'm asking you about the strength of your Christian community because I'm going to tell you this. If you rate your spiritual life in Christian community at about a four then that's probably the spiritual life you have is a four. It's not going to go any higher than your Christian community. Unless you have defined spiritual life something different than John is. That's a whole other question. I told you last week, some of the things the Bible teaches will make you sick. They'll make you sick to your stomach, like when you're going up and learning how to fly in a plane. And you got somebody next to you telling you the details of how to do it. You trust every word he says, even though some of the things he's going to ask you to do are going to make you sick to your stomach. And for some people, this is a struggle when it comes to community. Because we, have, we like our own lives. We don't want anyone speaking into it. But the truth is, we reveal God to each other. In this dynamic, we reveal God to each other. A lot of who God is and what God expects us to get from him comes in this interaction. I think it's profoundly significant that when John says, oh, you, we want you to have eternal life too. Oh, guess what that looks like? Let me start with your private relationship with God. No. He says, how you doing with us first? With us first. Why doesn't he do the spiritual part first? Because right here is where it's tangible and fleshed out. Jesus came in the flesh, it was tangible, and showed us what it looks like tangible. Let's start with the obvious. The easily defined. Then we'll get to the more mystical side of this. Yeah, I, I talk to God. I talk to him. He talks to me. We have a deal. We understand each other. That's bull. All right, you can't bypass this group and, can, and, and try to connect here. That's what Volf last week, Miroslav Volf, theologian, called trying to have a foursome with God. The Trinity and you, and it's just you guys figuring out your life. This flies in the face of the spiritual culture of our community, which says, I have my life, you have yours. I don't want to impress my ideas on you, and you don't want to impress them on me. We live in a culture where everybody gets to do what they want, and everybody's right. That's why John starts here, because that's not how it works. You know why he was writing the book? Because everybody started getting their own ideas about what, what the spiritual life should look like, what morality should look like. John says, hey, hang out with this group here. They've, they've got it. Don't try to define it on your own. You'll screw that up. And I'm going to show you why you will. Every time. We all will. None of us are 
That's why you can't just have this, the private life. So, if you come to church, okay, because you say, you know, I could use a little teaching every now and then. Um, some inspiration. Sometimes I need a little help, you know, just getting through. Spiritual life needs a boost. Hey, that's awesome. Glad you came in the door. But you cannot possibly be here long, begin to grow spiritually without something else taking you over. Without what God intends for the spiritual life to be, actually be, begins to take over in you. And it it moves you away from the individual idea that you have a spiritual life with God and you're disconnected from everybody else in the room. That's got to go away really fast if you're understanding what John is saying. That can't be. And that's essentially what we're learning here. Because by definition, eternal life is community. Listen, if you don't like Christians, which by the way, I understand. John Piper had a great little two-minute thing. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I don't have time. I'm watching my time tick away. But John Piper had this little thing. Uh, what if you don't, he says, why don't I like the Christians I know? It was the name of his little two-minute video. So I watched it. It was pretty interesting. It was funny. Um, but the, here's the truth. It's defined by community. It's defined by the character of God. He functions in community. When he saves, he saves in community. And when he transforms, he transforms in community. God can't operate outside of community. He doesn't. Neither can we. If we want in on the spiritual life, he is providing. Now, uh, so all of a sudden, there ought, to have, there ought to be a pressure on you. You ought to feel a burden and a pressure to share what you have with God with others. Because that's what God does, and that's what he did. We should have that same burden. We should have that same desire. We should have a longing to share it. And something's wrong if that longing doesn't exist in you. That means culture has influenced you way too much about having your own spiritual life, and that's all that matters. Remember what C.S. Lewis said? Eternal life has a character to it. Heaven has a character to it. And that character you need to be suited for. If you haven't read Revelation 21 and 22 about what heaven's going to be like, if you don't like Christians now, you are going to get sick to your stomach in heaven because it's all about community. And what C.S. Lewis is arguing is that character of eternal life, if it's in you now, ought to be creating and stirring a longing and a desire now for what's going to come later. Because remember in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, which is, a, which is a picture of heaven and hell and people in uh, People in hell get a bus ride to heaven, they get to check it out. And the people that are in hell are called ghosts. The people that are in heaven are called the solids. Because one is ultimate reality, and the other is not much, there's no substance to it. That's why they're called that. 
And so when they mingle and they interact, you can see the radical difference between the two. Because a certain kind of person ends up in a certain kind of place. And C.S. Lewis has this moment where uh, one of the souls that's in hell, one of the solids in heaven, is trying to reach out to the ghost in hell and, and, and help him. And his, his stance and his attitude is this, is this, basically says this, I don't want help, I want to be left alone. That's a hellish longing. A heavenly longing is, I do not want to be alone. I cannot be alone. I know a God who's not alone. I know a God who creates in community. I cannot be alone, even though there's an energy in me, in all of us, that wants to pull away and long and pull away. I know that. That's what you're fighting spiritually to stay connected to community. Fighting that longing to be alone is what will keep you spiritually healthy. So I think there are basically... I mean, for, I don't know, I'm going to try to give you something in a nutshell of what you ought to be longing for in community that would make your spiritual life healthy. Okay, I've just picked three words. Wow, this could have gone tons of different ways, but here's simply what I would suggest in your spiritual life you got to have when we talk about this kind of fellowship, this sharing and in common. What are we sharing And what do we have in common? Well, the first word I would use is mutuality. The first word I would use is mutuality. Uh, This is sort of the give and take dynamic that has to be in Christian relationship. In spiritual relationship, in spiritual relationship, just imagine God in spiritual relationship. He functions together in community. You cannot be in a small community and not have give and take. You're constantly giving and you're constantly receiving. That's the dynamic. And we looked at this in John 17 a few months back. It's one of the most incredible pictures in the world to see how the Trinity operates. Well, God is recreating that kind of community here. And here there is a give and a take. I need... I need things from other believers in order to grow. And I need to give things to other believers in order for me to grow. That dynamic has to be working me. To the degree that it is, is the degree that I am understanding God better and relating to God better as I am relating to you better. That's the mutuality. It has to be there. I can't just get forgiveness from the group. I've got to grant it. I can't just be loved by the group. I've got to grant it. I cannot just be cared for by the group. I have to care. That's essentially what Jesus did in opening up the community. That's what we learned by the fact that John says, you better believe that he walked out of that trinity and came here in the flesh and opened up that community for you. How did he do that? What did he do? He had to sacrifice himself to do that. There better be some sacrificing going on over here in this community right here. 
if you want to be experiencing the kind of fellowship here. Because remember what Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to have fellowship with his sufferings. Well, how do you do that? Hang out with other Christians. That'll do it to you. You want to suffer a little bit? Get with other Christians. I'm telling you. Well, I don't know if I like him. You know, his wife's a little, he's a little. All that mess is part of you growing. It's like, who are you? One of the wonders of being in Christian community is the one place in the world where we can finally stop sizing each other up. Gosh, aren't you tired of it? I'm just tired of it. My brain naturally does it, trying to shut that off all the time. Get in Christian community where what we have in common is God. And I don't have to worry about what you dress, how you, what you're wearing, what you have, what you don't have, what you can do for me, what you can't do for me. Hey, don't you want that? This is where you get it. Because every other setting in your life, you can't have that. So you got to love and you got to forgive and you got to put up with each other. That's, that's it. And in doing that, I learned the dynamic of God. There are no small exchanges relationally. All of them count when we are spiritually together. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you, you know, when you, when you meet with a Christian one-on-one, you're never just one-on-one because you're always under the presence of Christ. He's always dictating the dynamic of that relationship. That's why it happens there. That's why you cannot do without it. The necessary nutrients of the spiritual life come between us. That's what John is saying. It's just very very just profound. So I want to say something to those of you who are, who are hurt. Okay, because if you're hurt in this room by a church or this church, and by the way, let's not anyone live under the idea that this church isn't ever going to hurt your feelings. Something I say will hurt your feelings. Something I don't say will hurt your feelings. Um, it happens all the time. We hurt each other. We hurt each other in small settings. We hurt each other in large settings. We hurt each other. We don't even know how we hurt each other. I understand that. That's part of the dynamic. It's learning how to love and forgive and accept anyway. That's the wonder of Christianity. That's what the gospel teaches us better than anything else in the world. The resources for community come out of the gospel. He teaches us how to love and reconcile and look past and accept and not think too highly of ourselves. That has to, that, that has to be exchanged. That's how we literally reveal God to each other. See, I want to get to know God better. Get in a community and learn what it means to accept, love, and forgive, and you will have gotten to know God better. You hear that? And if you've been hurt, don't run. Well, you know, the children's ministry, this happened, and so we're going to another church next week. Oh, grow up. Please, God, grow up. You know what all these churches are doing in this community? We're all just switching hurt people. (laughs) It's so annoying. Oh, well, I come from that church, and I'm not going to get into it. I know. Right? Just switching hurt people. 
Because somebody wouldn't go say, I need to talk to that pastor because he said something that really offended me. If I'll just go talk to him, maybe, maybe he'll explain himself, or maybe he'll say he's sorry and we can be past it and actually be better friends after. You know, that option doesn't even come to our minds. We just think we got to run. Oh, I screwed up so bad now in this church that I got to run. No, why don't you just let somebody forgive your sorry behind? Just let someone forgive your sorry behind and love and accept you and stand in there and take it. That's all. That's what we got to do for each other. That's what community, you know what we do? As soon as something bad happens in this community, we run to another one. Listen, well, that's enough said about that one. (laughs) The second one, first one's mutuality, that give and take. Second one's teachability. I wanted to spend more time on this one, but probably won't. Uh, But teachability. You know, it's submitting the quality of your life to someone else. Listen, if this dynamic, if that dynamic, the first one, mutuality is not happening in your life, that give and take exchange relationally and spiritually, you're going to be, you're handicapped spiritually. And the teachability side of this is really important. That's submitting the quality of your life to it. It's being around other Christians where the quality of my life is always somewhat, you know, on display. And we get to interact about the kind of life I'm living. That's the wonder of community. You know, what kind of doctrines have I always believed? What kind of beliefs do I have? Uh, Strategies for life. What strategies am I using for life? Are they working? Are they healthy? Are they good? Because I've always done them, but I don't even know if they're the best strategies for living. Get around some growing Christians, and you'll, you'll find out real fast. Maybe you are drinking too much. Maybe you do cuss too much. Maybe you actually do. Because remember, by yourself, you'll never come clean. That's why you need each other. That's the reason you can't grow spiritually. You want to know ultimately, the bottom line? You can't grow spiritually alone because you're not hard enough on yourself. You're too nice. You won't kick yourself in the fanny for that. Oh, I don't think I drank too much. I don't think I cussed too much. I don't think I give too little. I think I'm just fine. God's really happy with me. We have a deal. He knows how my weekends go. Are you kidding? Get in a small group and watch Fred over here say, are you nuts? You're nuts for believing that, for thinking that, for acting that way. You treat your wife that way? No one in this Christian community is going to let you get away with that. That's how you talk to your kids? Are you kidding? Have you ever, ever had anybody say that to you? You know why most of us are the same monkeys we are at 30, at 60? Because nobody said to you. You might have been able to save your marriage had another brother walked into your life and said, that's not how you treat your wife. That's not how you do it. But left to yourself, you think you're brilliant. You think you're brilliant, and you've figured it out, and, you ha- and you're justified in your behavior. That's not what Christian community is going to let you do. I got a horrible email uh, from someone last week. It was, I mean, it made me, over the years, you know, my skin's gotten a little thicker. It's not that thick, but it's gotten a little thicker. But it still hurts. It takes my breath away when I get criticized or something, you know. It just hurts. 
And so this lady sent a long one. And by the time I was reading it, I mean, I just I had to sit back in my chair and say, oh, my Lord in heaven. It was like someone shot a bazooka, hit me right in the chest. And so I'm assessing this thing because I'm trying to figure out where is she right? And I, for the life of me. So Wednesday night when the elders got together, I read it to them. And I said, look, either I'm nuts or, or all of you have been sitting here letting me get away with this. And they all looked at me and said, no, that is not true. That is not true. It was, a, it was an opportunity, you know, because, you know, you'll get criticized by people in your life. And the reason why we all freak out when we get criticized is because we think we're fine. At the end of the day, we think we're fine and no one should criticize us. But if you take that criticism and you go, I don't know if this criticism's right, let your wife see it. Your boss criticizes you. Let you ask your wife. Ask your husband. Take it to a friend. Is this, is this true? Is this true about me? Because if it is, something needs to change. Uh, the week before, Steve Amato, our elder, uh, got a little letter. And we all read that together as an, el- as a, as an elder group. And, and, and had to think through that one, too. Wasn't hard. Wasn't, it was sort of easy. But it was like, I think it was uh, attacking Italian month. That's what I think it was. Because it was, he got it and I got it. And it was like, I just think it's because we're Italian, Steve. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you can't see what's going on with you. You just need somebody else to see it. Third thing, and I'll close with this, is, uh, is responsibility. A lot of times when you assess whether or not you're going to enter community, you, ass- you make the decision based on whether or not you need it. Well, we've already established you do. You don't have the eternal life God has described. So you actually do, but you'll still think, I'm okay. But here's the one that I want you to see is other people need you. Have you thought about that? Others might need your thinking, your input, your mindset, your strategies, your love, your care, your forgiveness. You're needed. When you come here together, when you come here, don't come here like you come to Walmart like you go to Walmart. You know, you go to Walmart because you have to. Nobody's dying to go to Walmart today. You go to Walmart because you have to. You're looking for the best spot. You want in and out, and you hope you don't see anybody you know. (laughs) Don't you? Every time you go to Walmart, that's the thought in your head. God, please, I don't want to see anybody I know. Because you're in sweats and socks that don't match and everything when you get to Walmart. I know it. (laughs) That's just how it is. Thank God for Walmart, because they let people be that way. And I love, be- I love being able to be that way. I can't go out in this anywhere, but I can to Walmart. It's a wonderful thing. It's cheers in a shopping mall. Here's what uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider, this is community, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
That's, that's our task. It's not just how can I be stimulated, but how can I stimulate others to love and good deeds? I cannot forsake our getting together. As the habit of some is in Hebrews, people were abandoning their communities. We can't be doing that. And, and the writer of Hebrews knows your spiritual life depends on this one anothering. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, as the end comes. That's our responsibility. See, here's the it's not just about what you get. Don't treat your brothers and sisters as uh, just something useful to you. You need to be beneficial to them. You need to take, you need to feel the responsibility that you have to encourage other people. When you come here, you're you're looking for other people to encourage. You never know who's in the room. You never know who you're going to make eye contact with. Even when we're together as a big group, be mindful of other people. Don't walk by them like you're at Walmart. Just be mindful, open. Now, the, the beauty thing, the beautiful thing about this, as I uh, end this, is all of the resources to overcome all of your hurts and your fears about community come in the gospel. If you understand what God has done for you, if you understand what God has done for you, then you understand that in the gospel you have the resources for community. I'm not asking you to just go, all right, this, I'm a Christian, I got stuff to do. That's not what I'm purporting here, and I, I don't ever want to purport that. I just, I'm supposed to do stuff as a believer. That's not it. There's a God who lives in community who's in love with me. Can you say that? He's in love with me. He has sacrificed so much to be in relationship with me. And inside me is a natural desire to want to share that with other believers. I I gotta be around other people who know that love, who know what that looks like. The ability to forgive, the ability to accept, the ability to serve, the ability to care for, all of those things come because of that. In 1 John, this is the very book that says, you know why you're supposed to love? Because he first loved you. It's the same book. It shouldn't be that difficult to love in light of how he's loved you. So again, start back at the beginning. You can assess your spiritual life based on the strength of the kind of community that's providing you those three things. The mutuality, teachability,
and then responsibility, taking responsibility for one another. Well, we have lots of opportunities. You know, we have, a, we have an area that we call, hold on, the connect area. Constantly. You want to know what we're, what we're killing ourselves to do every week? Get you connected. Why? Because we know how important it is for your spiritual life to be connected. 